Ever since the CONCACAF Nations League schedule was released, Canadian men's national team fans, players and staff have had this coming week circled on their calendars. On Tuesday, Canada hosts the United States for the first time since 2012 in a game that is critical to World Cup qualifying hopes. My name is Mitchell Tierney, this is the Footy Talks Podcast, and we will get you set for the biggest game of the decade for the Canadian men's national team on this week's show. We will also chat a surprisingly successful decision day for Toronto FC and the implications of that going forward. Do all that, Rudy Schuler of Sporting News and host of Canada FC on Sirius XM Canada Talks is back on the show. Rudy, thanks for joining me on what is a pretty exciting week for Canadian soccer. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, usually we uh, we start these shows by talking Toronto FC, um, but this week I think it behooves us to talk about the Canadian men's national team as that is far and away the the biggest game of this upcoming week but there is one topic that kind of hits on both so I figured we'd talk about that right off off the top and that is Josie Altidore's injury situation um the the news for the U.S. men's national team is he's pulled out of their camp with this injury a quadrant injury that he suffered in the 70th minute against New York City FC the news for Toronto FC of course is is optimistic that uh he'll be able to go in two weeks time when they start their playoff campaign at home against DC United certainly I think uh, for a multitude of reasons, but this is one of those things where having that home playoff game helps out in that regard. But uh, he's getting treatment certainly on it, and, and you know, definitely the fact that he's not playing over the international break will help. But from both perspectives, uh, you know, what does this mean both for I guess the Canadian men's national team and then for Toronto FC? This this recent injury news for Altidore. <laughs> well, it's kind of the opposite for both, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I think for Canada, it's a it's it's very positive news. Uh, you know, obviously, no one likes to see players go out injured, and I, I do think that John Herdman wants to test his uh, his players against the best possible uh, version of the U.S. Uh, that he can. Uh, that being said, you always want to have a little bit of an advantage, and uh, not having Josie Altidore, uh, the U.S. not having Josie Altidore, is a, a distinct disadvantage for them and a distinct advantage for the uh, for the Canadian national team. Um, you know, obviously, uh, as 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 people who have observed both TFC and Canada, uh, we can kind of see it from from both sides. Uh, from, from the Canada side, you're not getting uh, you're not playing against a player uh, that is such a handful um, mm-hmm. playing in his home stadium, and I, I think that's a, another mental factor. You have to you have to assume that Josie Altidore was kind of raring to go to play finally uh, at BMO for the U.S. Um, it, uh, to me, I think that's just as, as as big a deal to him as 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 Canada hosting the U.S. is it's for them, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if in, in his career he's ever played uh, for his country in his home club stadium. I, I doubt it. Uh, you, you think back, you know, when he was playing for the Red Bulls, I don't think they played a giant stadium. Uh, the U.S. did, uh, and when he was playing over in Europe, I doubt. I doubt that the U.S. men's national team played, uh, you know, at Hull City or, or Sunderland or, or wherever <laughs> else he played, right? So yeah. uh, this was probably the first time that he would be playing uh, in his home, like in his home city, which uh, and uh, you know the, the stadium that he calls home now professionally. So I'm sure he, you know, knowing how much affinity he has for for Toronto and 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 how well he plays at BMO, uh, he was really looking forward to it. So. You know, for Canada, you don't have to play up against play uh, go up against a, a very amped up 
shields the Alcador, which to me um, would have likely been, you know, the second most dangerous player on the pitch for the U.S. Uh, and uh, I think anybody that has to replace him is a step down. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's nothing but positive from the Canadian men's national team side. From TFC, obviously, it's the reverse. Uh, he is a guy who, in the playoffs, has been unstoppable for TFC since 2016. Obviously, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but the 2016 and 2017 runs, he was Mr. Playoffs um, for TFC. And uh, he's hands down, he's the best player uh, when it comes to playoffs. He may not be the best player overall. Maybe that goes to Alejandro Pozuelo. I don't know. That's a discussion for another day. Um, but when it comes to MLS playoffs, hands down, Josie Altador is the best player for TFC. He may not. He may be the best player in MLS, in MLS playoffs over the last two, three years. So um, the possibility of not having him, of course, must scare Greg Manny and keep him up at night. Um, but you know, it, I think the plus side is that it's not a hamstring, uh, which is something that Josie Altador has, uh, has has dealt with over the over the years, both for Canada and the U and the U. Sorry, both for the U.S. and uh, TFC. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a, it's not something that recurs, and, and you know, hamstrings tend to linger; they, they tend to go on for for weeks on end, and especially for a guy who's you know torn hamstrings and, and, and pulled hamstrings several times, you don't want to have that recurring injury. So it, he said it was a, a new injury; he's never had a quad injury before. Um, it seems to be not so severe. Obviously, it's not a tear or anything like that because they, they wouldn't have to announce that by now. Uh, you know, but then again, you, you don't know, right? That they could be playing games in the media, but making uh, making DC have to uh, to game plan for him, and all of a sudden he's not ready. But you know, I think it would have gotten out by now if he was uh, if he was more severely injured. So, if it is uh, what it seems like, and it's just a mild strain. Uh, quads are they're, they're playable. Uh, he won't be a tip-top shape, I don't think. Uh, but if you can get 20 minutes of Josie Altador, they'll take it. Uh, TSC will. Um, obviously, they want to have 90 minutes of him, but you know, it is he's, it, injuries are part and parcel of what what comes with Josie Altador. So uh, this is something that both the player and the team uh, will be very familiar with in terms of dealing with mentally and, and, and getting prepared. So now uh, all you can hope is that. Uh, the medical staff uh, is able to do their jobs uh, and, and pull out a, a little bit of a miracle for TFC's sake. Yeah, to be fair, he was certainly very injured as well during that 2017 playoff run where he mm-hmm. put on all kinds of magical moments. I remember the game against Columbus um, in that conference final where he scored the the winning goal where he was mm-hmm. literally limping and then all of a sudden someone played him through and he somehow burst onto there and then celebrated as if you know, his ankle was fine yeah. the whole time. So it's crazy what adrenaline does to you in playoff games. So we'll see what the impact is there. And, of course, I think the single game playoffs in, in this sense is a positive for Toronto FC that they don't have to, you know, if they're traveling on the road, it's just it's just one game they're traveling in for. They don't have to go back and forth. So in that sense, I think from a Josie Altidore perspective, the one game playoffs might be nice for, for them as he tries to recover. But certainly agree with you. Um, I, I think when this game was announced for a lot of people, certainly in Toronto, it was, you know, this will be an opportunity to see Jonathan Osorio go up against Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. Now one of those big pieces is removed from the puzzle. So from a Canadian perspective, you know, and certainly you mentioned the, the downgrade at the striker position when Josie Altidore is not there. Uh, this is a pretty important uh, absence for the U.S., but they do have another uh, a number of other players who Canada will certainly be concerned about on the the day, not least of which the the one who plays for Chelsea. Um, 
or or at least plays sometimes for Chelsea at the moment. Sometimes, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but are there any other players, or, or certainly Pulisic as well? Are the guys you're you're looking at from the U.S. men's national team that could do damage on Canada during this game? Yeah, I mean Pulisic is the most obvious one, um, and yeah, uh, anybody who 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 is familiar with world soccer and familiar with the U.S. Uh, player pool. Uh, we'll, we'll point to him as the most dangerous attacker they have. I, I, I kind of hinted at it before when I said that Josie's the second best attacker. Uh, that's because Pulisic is the most dangerous. And I think that um, he's another one who will be highly motivated in this game because he hasn't been, uh, been playing as much at Chelsea as uh, he would have liked, as you mentioned. So, uh, you know, he, he just came off a, a, a massive uh, transfer in the summer. Uh, looked like he was going to be part of the, the starting lineup going forward because uh, he had a very good preseason. Uh, he had a very good uh, early start of the season, and then all of a sudden, you know, he was dropped by Frank Lampard. So, um, it is what it is. Uh, he's a professional, and, and I'm sure he'll he'll deal with it. But uh, when he does get in the field, I'm sure he wants to uh, to show that there's a reason why he's uh, the U.S.'s seventy million dollar man. So, you know, he, obviously, he's the guy that uh, I think John Herman will be game planning around. Um, but uh, you know, other players, I think Jordan Morris has uh, has reason to step up as well uh, but you know uh, I think that the guys who would possibly replace Josie Altidore are, are, are guys you would have to uh, you know keep an eye out for uh, Jossie Zardes if he plays uh, hasn't got the greatest reputation uh, amongst uh, US national team fans I'm sure he wants to shut them up at least temporarily mm-hmm. and uh, Josh Sargent he's the youngster uh, who plays for Werder Bremen he just started uh, getting some minutes in, in the Bundesliga. It started look, looking good, to be quite honest. He plays very similar to, to Josie Altidore. He's a big body. Uh, he can use his feet very well. Uh, and, uh, you know, he is the future of the, of the U.S. attack, at least as a number nine. So, uh, you know, he's another guy who will be highly motivated to show uh, Greg Berhalter what he can do. Um, you know, the U.S., even at their, their current kind of iteration, which is, to me, this is the worst U.S. team in 20 years or so, uh, is still extremely talented, and they've got a, a lot of young players that are very hungry to uh, to move up that ladder. And to be quite fair and frank, there's there's a lot of uh, opportunity for them to do so because uh, the U.S. has been underwhelming basically since they failed to qualify for the uh, 2018 World Cup. They've been very underwhelming. So this is a time for some of these younger players to uh, to kind of grab hold of the reins and and, and take over. Uh, you know, there's there's others I haven't mentioned. Weston McKenney is another one uh, who hasn't had a great start in the Bundesliga, but you know he, he's he's a Bundesliga starter at the age of 21 in central midfield. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's a guy that will definitely uh, go up against the likes of Jonathan Astoria, Scott Arfield, Mark Anthony. Gay. Whoever starts in the Canadian midfield will be battling with Weston McKenney and and uh, presumably Michael Bradley as well. So uh, there's quite a few uh, weapons still uh, still at uh, Greg Berhalter's disposal. Although I do think that the biggest one up top is gone now, and uh, it, it's onto the likes of, of Pulisic, who to me is still the best attacker that the U.S. has, uh, and uh, you know Jordan Morris and, and Jesse Zardes of the world to to show that they can uh, they can do what Josie Altador has proven he can do. Yeah, in that regard, I think you're right. You know, this isn't a U.S. men's national team that that Canada should be scared of by any means, but certainly they underestimate them at their own peril because there's still mm-hmm. all kinds of talented players there playing in in all kinds of top leagues across the world. so And like you said, a lot of them will be very motivated given their club situations and and given the opportunity to climb up the ladder there with the, the U.S. men's national team. So, uh, you know, if Canada's expecting, a, a, you know, a, a 
easy game from the U.S. here. They're they're certainly not going to get it. Um, on the Canadian side of the field, you know, there's a number of players here, of course, that Canada will lean on. One of the guys I was thinking leading up into this game who I think might actually be critical to the game, there's no actually guarantees that he'll start like you said the the canadian men's national team midfield is is you know one of the the toughest places to pick right now but jonathan osorio playing in his home stadium in a place where he's had all kinds of big games during his career i mean you look at that 2017 playoff run where he came back and uh into the lineup and was one of the most key players there you look at the the concacaf champions league run as well the games against tigris uh, all of those games he was one of their best players voyager's cup it, 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 he seems to be a player at BMO Field in big games, who's always had an impact. So, you know, if you're John Herdman and, and you're looking at that midfield, I, I almost think Osorio is one of those players who, even with all kinds of talent, you know, Mark Anthony K, our field, Ustakio coming in now, although uh, there's probably injury concerns that will keep him out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam Piet as well. I, I think Osorio might, might almost have to be in this team in, in some capacity. Yeah, I think that uh, you're right. He's not a guaranteed starter, uh, which speaks to the growth of the national team pool, especially in that central midfield area, you know, the, the, all those names that you mentioned, there's, there's even a couple missing. Uh, Will Johnson, of course, has uh, had to pull out uh, due to uh, personal reasons, and there's, there's a couple other players that are kind of on the on the cusp. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is one of the few games that I think he is uh, as close to a guaranteed starter as possible, just because of the fact that it is at BMO. I know that Canada obviously plays at BMO a lot. Uh, but it is a BMO. It is against the U.S. and it, it, it does feel like um, the equivalent of a, of a like a playoff type game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with all the stakes because uh, Canada is fighting to get into the hex and they need those those points from uh, from a victory against the U.S., which I think will, will give them 17, 18 points in the FIFA rankings uh, if they were to able to get all three points against the, the U.S. in, in a victory. So um, all of those things being considered. And, you know, all the experience that Osorio's had, as you mentioned, you know, in, in big games in recent times, especially at BMO Field, um, I think John Herdman has to look long and hard at starting him. And I think that this is the best chance for Oso to start um, in this type of, it, for, for Canada in a long time, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with, you know, Atiba Hutchinson not there. And, and, and like I said, there's, there's lots of players that aren't available. Um, so it, it, the pool narrowed down. It's still it's still quite talented. The, the players that are left over, but as you mentioned, you know, Stefan Ustakio is probably not going to play because he's he, he's probably just kind of learning the ropes in in terms of uh, the national team setup, and he hasn't played a first team game since he tore his ACL back in January. Uh, Liam Fraser came in just to make up the numbers, and he doesn't start at TFC over Jonathan Osorio anyway, so that wouldn't make any <laughs> sense, right? Yeah. So uh, basically, you're looking at Samuel Piet, Russell Tybert, uh, Scott Arfield. And Mark Anthony K as uh, as the other options alongside Jonathan Osorio, you have to assume it'll be a, a, at least a three-man midfield, central midfield. So three of those five guys will start. I think uh, Jonathan Osorio has a very good chance of being one of those guys. And even if he doesn't start, I think he'll see the field anyway, just because of his experience and his guile uh, in these types of games at BMO Field. So yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, something that I think uh, Herdman will will give a long, hard look at. And you know. Uh, I think he, he welcomes these headaches because that just means that the team is getting better. And I'm sure, uh, you know, he'd welcome these types of headaches elsewhere in, on the field, and especially looking at the defensive line, uh, because he doesn't have quite the same selection headaches as he does at the, on the back line as he does uh, in the midfield and forward uh, options. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, 
the, the midfield depth and forward depth of Canada is is only a positive and managers you know if they don't have those kind of headaches then they're having headaches for other reasons and <laughs> or yeah. more, more so worse reasons in, in terms of their their player selection but uh, before we move on from this I just wanted to to maybe talk about some of the factors going into this game and and you know how how we think they might affect them um, you know first and foremost the U.S. men's national team plays tonight against Cuba that's not a game that we anticipate will be very difficult for them we've seen you know front hand you know what the what the Cuban team has kind of descended into lately uh, they've had some more defections since then it's just been a really rough uh, go of it for Cuba of late and and I, I don't imagine that tonight's game will be any different but you know in in other senses you've got a lot more motivation I think Sam Piet said uh, this week in training that you know they, they don't need any more motivation for this game no. because you've got World Cup qualifying uh, points on the line um, in terms of getting into that hex. You've got the Nations League and and the incredible opportunity that it would be to get into the final four there. I mean, this game has to mean a lot more for Canada than it does for the United States just in that sense. Obviously, it will, it will mean a lot. And there's kind of a, a big brother syndrome maybe where they want to yep. always beat Canada and know that Canada are a threat so um, you know they don't want to be the team that, that gave Canada emboldened Canada to be a player in the region but um, I, you know I, I certainly think that from a Canadian perspective this game should mean everything to them and, and I wonder how that will play out on the field uh, come Tuesday yeah that's the thing right it's, it's it means way more to Canada than it does to the U.S. as you mentioned uh, not just on a on a FIFA points level, uh, the fact that the U.S. is already guaranteed to be in the hex, just based on their on the relative ranking right now, and it would take. I, I think they had to lose. I don't even know how many games they had to lose to fall out of that, that top six. It's basically, more games than they can actually play yeah. between now and June 2020, um, and by by a wide margin too. Um, so yeah, there's there's the practical uh, the practical uh, need for 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 Canada to to win uh, against the U.S. I'd say at least one of these two games, at least in Toronto or Orlando in uh, in November, I think Canada will have to. Obviously, they're 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 targeting the Toronto game first because it it, it comes first and it's the home game. I think it would be a little bit easier to win, uh, you know, easier in air quotes, of course. Hmm. Um, but there's yeah, there's that practical consideration, the fact that they are chasing points and they are desperate to to get those points because they have to make the hex uh, to have a much better chance of getting to the World Cup in 2022. Uh, but then there's the emotional thing, like you said, it's the big brother, little brother thing. Uh, Canada has not beaten the U.S. in an A-team uh, friendly, where we you know where it's a FIFA A match yeah. since 1985. <laughs> 1985. Yeah. You know, of course, recently it's been you know it's been a lot closer. Uh, I think the last couple of games have been ties. Um, I think 2016 was a loss. It was a one-nil loss. Uh, I think before that was a draw. Uh, in 2013, and of course in 2012, when the last time Canada hosted uh, Abimo, uh, was a nil-nil draw. And then in 2011, I was there for that game. It was a two-nil win uh, in Detroit uh, in the Gold Cup. So it, the games have gotten closer, but it's still very one-sided. It's still a very one-sided rivalry. I don't even know if the U.S. thinks of Canada as a rival. You know, to them it's Mexico or bust kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They don't see themselves uh, as as kind of slumming it with Canada's level and to be fair to them they, they haven't you know they've earned that right I think that way uh, whereas Canada feels like they're you know they're they are up and comers now you know there's a lot of positives going on in this, pro- in this program you know a lot of talent being injected into the program a lot of uh, hype 
uh, you know, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Liam Miller, uh, list goes on and on and on. Young players that are, are, are you know, not your prototypical Canadian type players either, you know, because if you look at the way the history of the Canadian program, uh, the best players were always, you know, hard-nosed midfielders and, and defenders, and yeah. and that's how they would, uh, you know, grind out results. Now it's, they want to outscore you, you know, and they can do it in, in, in multiple ways. Uh, the guys I mentioned, and then Lucas Cavallini, Kyle Laird, who couldn't even make the team, uh, his, he's lighting it up in Belgium now after a, a down spell in, in, in Turkey. So um, Canada sees themselves as, as this up-and-comer in the region. And one of the ways to prove that, that they are, in fact, one of the, an up-and-comer in the region is to take down one of the big boys. And uh, it just so happens that you know, one of the biggest boys is their neighbor and, and their big brother in the U.S. So, uh, you know, we have this kind of inferiority complex against the U.S. anyway as, as Canadians, just based on because, you know, we're right next to them and we're bombarded with their media and their, their politics and everything else. So, that, you know, culturally, we're so close and we're bombarded with their culture. So uh, we do have a little bit of that syndrome, uh, and and I think that that'll manifest itself out as well. Uh, the players are, are, are obviously aware of that; they've grown up in that as well, and they you know they want nothing more than to beat the U.S. and and maybe make the U.S. see them as as the same kind of rival that Canada sees the U.S. So uh, yeah, this is definitely 100% a, a much bigger game from Canadian eyes than U.S. eyes, and I think that the only way to change that is for Canada to start winning against the U.S., which hasn't happened in you know, 34 years. Yeah, Sam Piat had a great quote about that uh, yeah. yesterday on the media call, saying the hate is natural. You don't even have to be a soccer fan to, to understand the the hate between these two sides. So, um, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a great quote and kind of sums up what you said there in terms of the, the natural rivalry that exists between these two countries. Um, but before we wrap up on the show, I did want to talk briefly about Toronto FC and uh kind of the, the ridiculous situation that happened that sees them now have a playoff game. I think almost all of us going into that final day of the season, we know how unpredictable MLS is, but it seemed almost a foregone conclusion that Toronto FC was going to finish, you know, either fifth or sixth in the Eastern Conference, considering the opponents that everyone else were facing. But then all of a sudden, you've got Montreal aside out of the playoffs. And, you know, if you're if you're thinking about it from a rivalry perspective, they have no motivation to beat a Red Bulls team and hand Toronto FC a home playoff game. But uh, they do. Uh, and again, nine-man Cincinnati drawing DC United at home, which is the even shock or more shocking result. Apparently, there was a FaceTime made to Nick Hagelin after the game uh, in terms of thanking him uh, for for what FC Cincinnati was able to do in that game. So all of a sudden, Toronto FC have a a first-round playoff matchup at home against DC United and a DC United team that aren't going great of lately so uh things turn from you, you know uh, I, th- I think most i think there was times this season where we weren't even sure if the team was going to make the playoffs but uh, now mm-hmm. it's definitely a favorable playoff matchup and and having that home advantage is huge yeah you know and you, you mentioned it it's, it's, it was almost mathematically impossible for things to fall the way they did <laughs> you know? yeah it was like a perfect storm of of PSC playing well enough to get the win. I don't think they played particularly well against Columbus, but they, you know, they did what they had to do. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like a, a playoff type atmosphere at the stadium, uh, and then the other results falling in line. You know, the Red Bulls getting stomped by Montreal. Who saw that coming? Uh, and then, of course, the the big one, as you mentioned, DC United. You know, just completely capitulating uh, to a nine man Cincinnati squad that is, and Cincinnati being the the worst defensive team in MLS history. Uh, somehow pitching a shutout against DC yeah. in DC. You know, I, I understand they didn't have Wayne Rooney, which is a big deal uh, in terms of not being able to, to 
formulate some kind of attack. But you got to be able to put at least one goal past that awful defense. You know, we saw Cincinnati here a few weeks back, and it was a crazy game. Uh, but TFC scored pretty easily, and and of course in uh, in Cincinnati it was just a, an absolute destruction. I mean, TFC kind of walked to a victory. Mm-hmm. I don't even think they broke a sweat, and that was in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, at Audi Field, you think DC would be good for at least two or three, especially against nine men. That's just the way it goes, I guess. That's why they play the games. But um, I think that uh, TFC will definitely take that mental boost. You know, you saw what it uh, what it meant to the players after the game. They were all crowded around phones uh, from the, the on the bench, and they ran over to the fans afterwards when the the fans, you know, there's a big cheer at the south end uh, when the, the the final score in DC uh, became known. Um, so it almost felt like a playoff victory in itself. So I think that'll be a, a nice mental boost for them. Uh, knowing that they get to play in a place where they are very hard to beat, you know, they haven't lost in 10 games. Uh, some of those games have been better than others, but hmm. the results are the results. And uh, yeah, DC has been on a, on a downslide uh, for the second half of the season. And even though uh, you know Wayne Root will be back, and I'm sure they'll be uh, you know well rested and well prepped and all that other stuff, uh, TFC matches up well with, with DC. You know, both games were, were draws. I, I believe that the one at BMO was a, it should have been a, a massive TFC victory. Uh, I think they outshot them something just something ridiculous. I think it was like thirty something shots or something like that, if I'm remembering correctly now. Um, but they yeah. were both draws, uh, both match, both regular season meetings. So um, it's definitely there's definitely no one big favorite over the other. But you have to think on form, TSC will feel very confident that they are the the better team right now. So uh, you know uh, anything can happen. It's, it's MLS, obviously. And we're talking about DC not being able to beat nine men uh, Cincinnati, so obviously yeah. anything can happen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think from a TFC perspective, they have to feel very uh, both lucky and confident going into this match that they were able to uh, to secure home field advantage. You mentioned something that's become a, a bit of a theme for Toronto FC lately, and that's uh, that showed a showcased itself again in, in Saturday's win over Columbus and, and that's just doing just enough I mean it's not like it's been incredibly pretty from Toronto FC lately and and a lot of the results have been close or, or disappointing in the sense that they've been draws that could have been wins but as we look towards the playoffs here I mean even that 2017 team they really played out some ugly results I mean <laughs> against New York <laughs> yeah. against Columbus those were, yeah th- those as well those were not uh those were not pretty series um, that Toronto FC got through, and uh, that, in that sense, it's it's probably a positive because that's kind of how you need to play in the MLS playoffs. Obviously, I, I do think it's a little different when you've got a two-game series and you need to especially grind out those away those away ties, and maybe in a one game, it's a you know you want to be a, a little bit more offensive and. Uh, but I do think that that's probably the main positive going in is this Toronto FC team, you know, they, they haven't been losing games lately. They haven't been winning them at uh, an incredible rate, but uh, they, they've been tough to beat, and that's what you need to be in the playoffs. Yeah, and and I think the experience factor also comes into play here in terms of the, the two teams that we're talking about now. Uh, TSC, most of their best players have experienced this already, right? I know, obviously, mm-hmm. Alejandro Prezuela has a bit of a lost playoff, and, and, and Benazay and Gallardo, a couple others, but uh, you know, most, some of the, most of the influential players on TFC that, that you'll see in a starting lineup, and we mentioned Jonathan Osorio, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, if he's there. Omar Gonzalez, mm-hmm. of course, is new to TFC, but he's not new in MLS. He's not new no. to winning in MLS playoff games. You know, he's a, he's a multiple-time champion with, uh, with the Galaxy. Um, so, uh, you know, Justin Morrow, it goes down the line. Justin Morrow, Marky Delgado, players like that. These guys have already been there and done that. 
so, you know, I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed by the occasion. Whereas you look at DC, and yes, you've got players with a lot of experience. Of course, Wayne Rooney's been at the, the highest levels of the game with Champions League and World Cup and all that stuff. Um, but aside from that, there's very little MLS playoff success in that group. You know, obviously, DC United hasn't had a lot of playoff success lately. Um, and the players that have come in from outside of DC United, there, there's not a whole lot of MLS playoff success in that group. So, you know, will, will, the occasion, will they be able to rise to the occasion? There's only one way to find out. I think that we'll have to wait until October 19th. But um, I think that's another mental edge that I think, uh, you know, PSC will be hoping that uh, plays in their, in, their, in their favor. Because, um, as you mentioned, you know, in, in these one-game playoffs, anything can really happen. Um, and, and, and teams are kind of forced to go for it rather than play the KG, you know, first 90 minutes where they, they just try to ground out, grind out a result and, and win things at home in the second. Like, can't do that anymore, you know. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, I think TFC will be hanging on to any kind of advantage they have. And I think the experience thing is, is definitely, along with the, the team's form, uh, the, the respective form of, of the teams going into the playoffs, uh, those, are two, those are two advantages they have uh, mentally that I think they'll definitely hang their hats on. Looking around the league at the other matchups uh, post-decision day, in the East we've got Atlanta hosting the New England Revolution, the Red Bulls travel to Philadelphia, and then out West the Galaxy take on Minnesota United, the Sounders host FC Dallas and Real Salt Lake Battle Portland Timbers. Uh, just briefly, any of those other games that kind of stand out to you in terms of uh, matchups you're looking forward to uh, once the playoffs get underway after this international window? Well, in the East, I'm looking at uh, Atlanta and New England just because um, they just played each other. <laughs> I believe they played each other on decision day. So, uh, you know, it's right back to the grind. Same same place. They have to go and, 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 uh, and New England's going to try to change the result now uh they're you know they're a very well coached team they got bruce arena who's the the winningest coach in, in terms of silverware i believe in mls if not uh, second to Siggy schmidt um he's gonna have his team prepared and you know obviously atlanta will be favored they're at home you know they're the reigning champs uh they're the far more talented squad um but uh, you know i just mentioned that anything could happen in, in a one-game playoff and and you know, I wouldn't bet against Bruce Arena in, in that kind of environment. Uh, on the West, I'm looking over and I'm seeing Minnesota and LA Galaxy. To me, that that is a big one. Uh, mm-hmm. LA Galaxy have proven that they can't defend to save their lives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, it, it, they 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 dropped four uh, goals to to Vancouver and and four goals to Houston in the final two games of the season. Um, that's that's just abject for a team that has a, that has MLS Cup aspirations. Yeah. You know, that's just awful. But on the other hand, they've got Slavan Ibrahimovic uh, and, and, and some very good, talented team uh, players up, up top to complement him. So they can score out of their minds as well. So uh, they go up against a Minnesota team that that, uh, that defends very well but has the problem of not being able to score. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of this, this is evenly matched in terms of this team is good at this thing and this team is good at the opposite thing. Um, it's, a, it's an evenly matched affair. Of course, they're the four and five seats, so that means it's even more evenly matched. Um, to me, I think that's the more compelling of the of the Western Conference matchups. Um, and then, of course, if LA manages to get through that, right. it will be El Trafico, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, not that I'm I'm rooting for one or the other, but I'd love to see El Trafico in the playoffs because, uh, as as bad as LA Galaxy has been, uh, they've had LAFC's number since LAFC has been been a team, and and specifically Zlatan has had LAFC's number since they become a team. Uh, so, uh, you know, if I can look a little ahead, you know, that'll be a, a, a great matchup as well, if it happens, of course. But, 
no, you know, I'm hoping that the, all the playoff games will be uh, will be decent, and uh, yeah, just looking forward to, uh, to 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 that season again because it, it it seems like it's been a long year, and I'm looking forward to some more exciting soccer. Yeah, I'm willing to admit I'm I'm cheering for the Galaxy. <laughs> I really badly want that uh, that Galaxy yeah. LAFC matchup to happen just for that reason. I mean, they've they've been excellent so far this year, and pretty much every time they've played, they've been you know the the marquee matchup of MLS so I, I really want to see that with with you know the playoff implications on the line and and what LAFC's done this season I think it's you know it, it's it'd be a big part of their story if they would be able to beat the LA Galaxy in, in the playoffs um, or you know if the Galaxy would be able to beat them so that that'd be a fantastic playoff matchup and and that's part of the reason why I'm looking forward to that Galaxy Minnesota United game as well as is also what it could mean for down the line um, but yeah, I think we'll we'll wrap up the show there. Rudy, thanks so much for joining me this week. Oh, thanks again, man. It's always a pleasure. And we'll have plenty more reaction to Canada's match against the United States as well as a deeper look at DC United on next week's Footy Sox podcast. But until then, have a great Thanksgiving weekend, everyone. <laughs>